Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. I, want, I wanted to share something with you quickly because uh, somebody texted me, sent me a text last night uh, to talk about uh, something that they had coming up. And how many of you guys know, you know, they do the gender reveal things? Have you seen those? People do lots of amazing, some people could go out of, you know, with skywriting and balloon and all that kind of stuff. This was a rather simple one. It was uh, one with a cake. And I guess blue and pink on top for boy and girl, but then inside it was pink, which meant it's going to be a girl. Okay, some of you weren't sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but meant it's going to be a girl, and actually this was texted me last night by Rachel, uh, who said to let you guys know that she will be having a girl in August, uh, and I'm not spoiling anything, I'm only doing this because she said, hey, let the church family know that we have a girl coming up in August. And the reason why I thought that was great is because one of the things that we're talking about today is family, because the family overall is an important part of uh, not just our dynamic in the United States or in a certain community, but all across the world, no matter what culture you go into, they have some kind of family structure and dynamic, which again, shows how connected humanity is. Uh, and when I was in Panama, when I was stationed in Panama, um, what do you think the biggest holiday in Panama was that wasn't Cinco de Mayo, so don't say that. I don't even, but what do you think the biggest day in Panama was? Just take, if you had to guess. No. Who said that? Yeah, well, yeah, she knows because I told her. But Mother's Day, Mother's Day was so big. I mean, you know how here they used to shut everything down on Sundays? On Mother's Day, they shut everything down. Um, police are not out driving around. No office is open. No 7-Eleven was open. No convenience stores are open. Nothing is open. And people will travel from all over the country to go home to be with their mothers. It was bigger than Christmas, bigger than Thanksgiving, bigger than any other day of the year because, again, every culture has some dynamic built around family. There are some cultures where it's the father that's the kind of patriarch of the family uh, and some cultures where the mother is kind of the matriarch of the family. But in every culture around the world, whether they're tribal, uh, whether they're inner city, whether they're suburban, every culture has this family dynamic to it, which again, shows how connected we are. Uh, and the next couple of chapters, actually the rest of the book of Genesis is just covering three families. That's what the next 30 some odd chapters cover. Um, so we started with Adam, and by the time we get to God calling Abraham, uh, it's the year 2024, or 2024 years have passed. Abraham is 75, Sarah is 65, when God speaks to them and calls them. Uh, but then Abraham has two sons. Uh, he has Ishmael by Hagar at age 86, and then he has Isaac by Sarah um, at age 100 and in the, those respective years. So he has two sons, and then after it focuses on Abraham, then it just focuses on Isaac. Genesis 21 through 25 really talk about, Abraham's still in the picture, but it's really focusing on Isaac and Isaac's family. And Isaac has two sons, twins, uh, born uh, 2,109 years after creation, Esau and Jacob. 
So he has these twin boys, but then the Bible continues and it focuses on the family of Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons who we know as the, you know, 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, now, his youngest son at the time was Joseph. But then when Joseph hits into his teen years, probably 12, 13-ish, uh, then Joseph has a brother named, or Jacob has another son who is the younger brother of Joseph called Benjamin. So for the next 10 chapters, it really focuses on the life of Jacob and the development of those 12 sons, how they're born, their stories. But then the rest of the Bible focuses on, from Genesis 37 till the end, the life of Joseph. And it's not really just the life of Joseph. It's really what God does in his life to preserve the people of Israel or those 12 tribes, those 12 families. Now, in the book of Exodus, we see God bringing those people out of Egypt and he's bringing them out of slavery. But this is what the rest of the book of Genesis focuses on. It talks about uh, their family dynamic and um, everything that they were going through as a family. And that's really what we're going to focus on in the rest of Genesis. We're going to talk about uh, how God worked through the patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, and even through Joseph, although he isn't technically considered one of the patriarchs, he's considered just one of the, but how God worked through them to create a nation and to create, you know, this, this, uh, our understanding of how the family dynamic should work, uh, and also how he allowed us to become his family. And it's not, and we're going to see this especially today, uh, but more so as we continue through, uh, it's not whose family you're born into. That's not what God is looking for. That's not how God chose his people. Because Abraham was just an average person. He was living in the Middle East like everybody else. Uh, but he got connected to God and stepped out in faith. And that's how God builds his family, through faith. Uh, and we're going to look at that a little bit today, but then also, what does God want to do through our families? And I'll tell you, here's the end game. God wants to do the same thing through our families that he did through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob. He wants to expand the number of people in his kingdom, the number of people that are his family. That has always been his goal. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 21. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, just let someone know, and we'll have uh, someone bring you one. Genesis uh, chapter 21, and we're going to start. If you're, if you're using one of the Bibles underneath the chairs around you, it's on page 14. Hopefully, hopefully I got that right. On page 14. And in Genesis chapter 21, now some of your Bibles have a title. Some of them may say the birth of Isaac or Isaac. Uh, this is where it talks about how Isaac was born. And in verse 1... Chapter 21, it says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Underline the word promise. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Now, we talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, and the when is when God showed up with the two angels to Abraham right before they had the conversation about the destruction and Abraham was pleading about, hey, if you find this many righteous or, you know, 40 righteous or 10 righteous, before that conversation, God said, hey, guess what? I'm going to visit you in about a year and Sarah's going to have a baby. And it was in verse uh, 
10 of chapter 18, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this same time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. So God said to Abraham, hey, I know you've been waiting. I know I told you 25 years ago when I called you that Sarah was going to have a son, and it hasn't happened yet. And he said, but I'm going to do it next year. And it's hard for us to, to, to picture God showing up and saying, I'm going to do it, just like it was for Abraham, and then you're waiting and waiting, and it never happens. But then God comes back and he says, here's the timeline. I'm going to make this happen. And I hear a lot of people that say, hey, you Christians are, uh, anyone ever hear this phrase, um, God said it, I believe it, so that's it. Anyone? Okay, yeah. There's a lot of people that use that phrase. And a lot of people will look at Christians and say, see, you don't check anything out. You're walking on blind faith. That's why I can't accept this whole Bible thing. But what they don't understand is that it's not blind faith. We're looking at time after time where God said, I promise this is what's going to happen, and it happened. God said, this is what I'm going to do, and he did it. God said, this will happen in the future, and it occurred. And only after so many times we say, yeah, you know what? If God said it, I believe it, that's the end of it. Not because of blind faith, but because over and over and over, God fulfills his word. He did it to them, and he does it for us. All right, so um, in verse 4, when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. And Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah was 90. There was a 10-year difference to them. Uh, verse 6, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And a couple of verses down from this, uh, what happened was after God said this to Sarah, Sarah was in another room. God was speaking to Abraham, I believe, outside. And Sarah laughed to herself like, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. I'm 89 years old. I don't see how God's going to do this. And then God responded. He said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And there are lots of things that, that we're like, you know what? God said he can do this. I think God can do this. Maybe God can do this. And we always need to be, you know what? If God said he will do it, then I'm going to believe it. That is the faith that Abraham expressed, that when it talks about in the New Testament, that true Israel isn't just those people born from Abraham. It's those people who express, express that kind of faith and said, hey, you know what? God said it. I don't see how it's going to happen, but I'm going to believe it. I'm going to put my trust and faith in God's word. All right, so uh, in verse 8, the child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. And uh, a lot of people think this is weird, but how many people remember the day, maybe you don't, maybe your grandparents did or whatever, when, when someone would buy a new car, people would come over, they'd look at the car, they'd maybe grill out and have a party. When someone bought a new house, friends or family would come over, they'd look at the new house, they'd have a party. Everything was celebrated in the context of family and in the context of community. Not just, hey, my son is turning this age, so my brother and sister and my parents come, but everyone got together to celebrate what was happening in each other's families. It doesn't happen as much today. Instead, we'll send 90 Facebook posts that say, happy birthday. 
and hope the balloons blow up, and that's it. But there was a time, including when the child was weaned, that was a, a, a critical point in the development of the youth to celebrate. And at that time, it's usually, uh, they said between somewhere between two, three, or four years old. I can't say for sure. Uh, I know it wasn't older, but possibly younger, somewhere two or three. Uh, but verse 9, but Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. And you have to understand, what she saw, where it says mocking, that word has two terms. One is mocking, like making fun of, like what we used to do when we were kids, like make fun of someone and just joke with them but not the intent to hurt them, but just making fun. The other intent is the more harsh, like where you're trying to make fun of someone and tear them down to the point where you want to hurt them emotionally. Another meaning is where physically touching someone, uh, and the way it's used uh, is in a romantic way. So uh, some theologians speculate that maybe he was uh, touching, Ishmael was touching Isaac in a way that was inappropriate, but it also means touching, which could be in a bullying way, like slapping, hurting, or punching. We don't know because it doesn't specify, and that word is used in each of those ways. All we can tell is that whatever Ishmael was doing to Isaac, it was such that Sarah looked and said, oh, heck no. Get them out. Now, there was probably some animosity there, but it was also probably her looking out for the welfare of her child. And then in verse 11... It says, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. And that word distress means tremble with fear violently. It grieved his heart because she was basically saying, hey, that's your child, not my child. I didn't give birth to it. You did. But I want him out of here. And from Abraham's perspective, he's like, this is my firstborn son. It grieved his heart. You have to, if your wife looks at your kid and says, get your, tell your kid to get out, it grieved his heart. Now, we have to understand, though, that technically he was his firstborn son, but he wasn't the child through which God was going to use him. But it was still a member of his family, and God responds accordingly because in verse 12 it said, But God said to him, meaning Abraham, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And he says, I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. God didn't have to do that. Because the only reason they had um, Ishmael is because they said God promised a child. We don't believe him. We haven't seen it yet. So Abraham said, well, I'm going to have sex with this woman since God can't bring the child through Sarah and he hasn't done it. I'll have sex with this woman who can bear children and have the child. And God said, well, that's, that's not a child of faith. That's a child of works. You did it, not trusting in me. But God still says, hey, I am going to take care of that child as well. And that's important because even when we mess up, even when we screw up, even when we don't put our faith in God, God is still faithful to his promise. And Timothy uh, was or excuse me, Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy. And some of you are familiar with this verse. He says, if we are faithless, if we don't believe, if we're untrue to him, if we fall, if we fail, if we mess up, if we fail to hold to God's promises, 
he remains true. He remains faithful to his word and his righteous character. And what he means by for he cannot deny himself is because he's still God. He's still just. Even when we don't do the right thing, God still does the right thing because he is the epitome of righteousness. Even when we say, all right, God, uh, you know, send me here. I'm going to go. And then we decide, I don't want to go. God still is faithful. Even when we say, okay, God, you're going to heal me, but I don't see how, and I don't believe you, and I don't trust you, God still is faithful. Even when we say, God, these financial issues are way beyond, there is, like, negative money in the bank account. And bill collectors still calling. No idea how God is still faithful. If... We are hearing and believing what God said that he would continue to do. And then he says, listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of a maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. And then we're going to end on this. He says, early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin and water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. And when the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bow shot away. For she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. Now they're in the desert, no water anywhere. Uh, for all intensive purposes, they've got a container of water and a Subway sandwich. And she's in the desert, and she's like, this just isn't going to cut it. Now, when it says the boy, there was a 14-year difference between Ishmael and Isaac. And if, let's say, you know, let's stay conservative, two years, Isaac was two years old when he was weaned, and this occurred immediately after, then that means Ishmael was about 16. Somewhere between 16, 17, 18 years old, even though it says the boy. And the reason why I think they say the boy instead of the young man is because of the next verse, because it says, verse 17, God heard the boy cry. She was crying too, but he was crying, probably because not as much fear of how are we going to do this, but the fear that you would probably have and any child would have when their father says, for all intents and purposes, I don't want you anymore. You've got to go. And he probably doesn't know the distress that Abraham was going through when he made that decision. But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God, and again, this is Jesus, and I'll show you why in a minute, called to Hagar, Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Angels don't make people into a great nation. God makes people into a great nation. Jesus makes people into a great nation. And the only reason it says the angel of God is because this is what they call a Christophany, where it's Christ interacting in the lives of humanity before he was born of the flesh. And here's the, here's the wonderful thing. I love this. God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy to drink. And even though uh, this occurred, you know, immediately after the boy was weaned, wells in those days, it, it, you know, if, I don't know if you've ever built a well, it might take 
hours to a day or two or whatever to build a well locally, it took them days to weeks, especially in the desert, to build a well. God didn't create a well. He opened her eyes to the provision that he had already provided because he knew at this day, at this time, this is what she's going to need. Not just a word of encouragement for me, but physical sustainment for me. And God said, hey, over here is this thing that I've already had put in place to provide for you. And then it goes on and it says that he grew up, he became an archer, he got married. Uh, for all intensive purposes, he had a wonderful life. And we'll look more at his life uh, a little bit uh, further on in the next week. But the whole uh, reason why we focused on this is because God shares so much about the family dynamic and the way that his intention of how families are supposed to interact. Uh, and he says the family, or we say, the family dynamic is not just a part of humanity, but it's an important part of God's kingdom. God's kingdom isn't just built like when we think of church, we think of, you know, uh, church structure and church members. When God thinks of the body of Christ, he thinks of family members, people who we're supposed to love and treat with respect. And um, this is awesome because the, uh, the Faith Pittsburgh event that we had uh, Thursday night, one of the speakers there was sharing these exact verses. And I was like, oh, way to go. Awesome that God is reiterating this. But in Matthew chapter 12, uh, Matthew records that while he, meaning Jesus, was speaking to the people, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied and told them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is mind-boggling from a Jewish perspective because they were always taught, I'm a descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and that's what makes me part of the people of God. And Jesus said, hey, my disciples, and we talked about this last week, a disciple is not just someone who wants to learn about God, but who wants to do what you do. Jesus' disciples were people who wanted to do what Jesus was doing. Jesus was doing the will of God. His followers wanted to do what he did, do the will of God. And he said, those are the people that are my brother and my sister and my mother. That's my family. Not the people that we look and say, hey, you have the same DNA or blood. But the people that we look and say, hey, you have the same spirit of God in me. And then Paul talks about this. And I'll close with this as the band comes up. Paul says, those whom he foreknew, speaking of God, of whom he was aware and loved beforehand, he also destined from the beginning, foreordaining them, to be molded into the image of his son. In his inward likeness. He says, those that God knew beforehand, before the beginning of time, God looked down. And the reason he knew this is because he knew before time, uh, he exists outside of time, that he said, hey, these are the people that are going to become Christ followers. So I'm going to predestine them to be a part of the family of God. And he says the reason that he might become the firstborn among many brethren. We're family. The family dynamic is not just important in our human cultures, it's important in God's kingdom. And this summer, many of you are going to be going to places and spending time with family and having family reunions and hanging out. And the thing that God would say to us is, hey, it's not just our families that need 
like to get together and have a family reunion? It's the body of Christ. We need to treat each other as if we are family, as if we matter to one another, as if it's not just about what we do on Sunday, but as if I care about what's going on in your life Monday through Monday through Monday, day after day, month after month, year after year, because we're connected. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand as I pray, and then we're going to uh, close out with a song. God, we pray that right now that you would bring to mind in each and every one of us, not just family members, but members of the body of Christ, maybe whom we haven't been getting along with, maybe whom we need to call or reach out to and say, hey, uh, uh, we're still connected through the blood of the same Jesus Christ that we both love. So let's, let's rectify our situation. Maybe there's someone who has been a member of the body of Christ and we haven't seen them in a while. Would you put it on our hearts to reach out to them, to connect with them, to pray for them, to care about them? And we pray for the body of Christ as a whole world that we would turn back to you, turn back to doing your will, to being your disciple, to doing what we just read, your word says that you wanted us to do, to share your word, expand your kingdom, and to bring more people into your family so that you might be the firstborn among many brethren. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen.